I kind of break it down into four different steps, right? So your job dependence. What that means is that if you quit your job, your monthly expenses would not be covered by the cash flow you have coming in from any other sources. So your ability to not go into debt is dependent upon having a job, right? And that's the majority of where folks start, right? Most of us aren't entrepreneurs coming out of school or, or whatever the case is. Some of us are, but they still may <laughs> be at a net negative, you know, monthly from an expense perspective. So yeah, you begin job dependent and then you just slowly start working away, working away. Working away. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Contrarian cash flow, welcome in. I'm your host, Jerome. John's on the other side of the table this time. John Blanton, you're out in Cary? What's happening out there, man? Apex, baby. Apex. Apex. Come on. Yeah. yeah. This is crazy, man. I don't even know what we're trying to do here, but but I think the audience is going to love this one. Dude. So did I hear right? You resigned from your job? It's over, baby. It's over. On to the next You're venture. retired. I'm retired. I'm re- my, I keep saying quit. My wife's like, stop saying that. You didn't quit. You retired. You're done. You hung it up. So so I, I retired. I officially retired. Wait, you're weird. Like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> 34. 34. I feel old. I feel older than I am. So, you know, I, I feel like I worked there too long. So 34 seems a lot longer than it may for most people. So you've been going on this journey with Contrarian Cashflow for, I don't know, 10 months or so. You started a podcast, been getting some crazy traction, and people were kind of confused at first. They're like, what is Contrarian Cashflow? Why does Cashflow matter? I thought it was all about net worth. I thought it was about door count. But you just had a crazy run over the past six, eight months. Talk to me how you gave yourself permission to retire from your corporate I mean, as you know, I mean, you and I kind of talked about it quite a bit as well. And we wrestled back and forth with what made sense, what didn't. So, you know, really the permission came from leaning into the unknown, right? I don't know why, but just like in the last few weeks, the phrase surrendered to the unknown just like enveloped me. And it was always that next step of it's got to be perfect. You know, how much further do I need to build out this system? How much further do I need to build out this content? How much further do I need to build out these other aspects of what I know is necessary to build the ultimate brand that I want. And I finally just said, you know what, enough's enough. If I want to actually do this and and be comfortable long-term, I'm going to have to be getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I just said, you know what, let me just jump in head first and and let's see what happens. And I mean, man, it's a wild ride. I can't believe the amount of support and engagement and folks reaching out, you know, to me that I haven't spoken to in 10 years or even longer. And it's just, it's such a blessing to be surrounded by the community that I am. And I'm just so excited to empower other people to have the ability to give themselves permission to pursue those aspirations that they truly have. Because the majority of us, you know, working that W-2 is not ultimately what we want to do till we're 65 or worst case until we die. Wow. All right. So I'm going to drop a bomb on that. <laughs> right? Because most people have no idea what you're talking about. You just said, give yourself permission. I know I asked you the kind of that question and you came back to it on the end, but you got kids, you got a wife, you know, you've got a great lifestyle. You guys just went on this crazy vacation down to the beach and like, what in the world are you doing? Like, how, how do you know that it's okay? 
right? I know you're surrendering to the process. Got it. But there's a math problem that everybody's solving, right? And so how did you know that you were good? You got like this cash flow stack or some kind of dashboard or something crazy that you're using to evaluate where a person's living. Like, it's crazy, man. Break it down for us. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, the decision was very qualitative, but to be able to allow myself to make the decision was a lot more quantitative than it seems, right? So what I mean by that is it was really more of a numerical formula that we we calculated, right? So based off of our different incomes from the cash flow stack. So, you know, my wife still does work, right? She <laughs> so she so she's she's still working, you know, so we've got that cash flow coming in, but even if she were to lose her job or to quit her job, you know, we do have enough income to sustain our our standard of living or our style of living for the time being. So from our business investments, from our passive investments, from our real estate portfolio, and then also from our other business ventures, we have enough. So what we did is we kind of backed into it, right? So we calculated our our family expenses. We built in a little bit of a buffer and that came out to about say $7,000 a month, give or take, right? You know, obviously we're not living the most abundant lifestyle, but we can easily survive on that much, you know, that much per month, you know, and I'm sure a lot of other families can survive, you know, on, on much less. And so what we realized is we have about 8,000, a little bit more than 8,000 a month coming in from a cash flow perspective within, within those different realms from be it 1099 business and passive investments that we've made. And so at that point, you know, the multiple people came to me and said, dude, you've already proven it to yourself. Like if I were you, I would be gone. And, you know, a- after I kept hearing that from people over and over again, I'm just like, what am I missing? Right. You know, like my sister, my, you know, even my parents who are pretty conservative, my buddies, you know, folks that I've worked with. And they're just like, dude, like you've already proven to yourself that, that you've built this proof of concept and it's real. They're like, you don't have anything else to prove. Like you've kind of you know, reached what you need to reach, like what's stopping you from just jumping in head first. And, and I think, you know, after hearing that for 15, 20 times, it really started to dawn on me. Cause for me, it was just like, well, if I leave, you know, tomorrow, my income is going to be, you know, X amount less. Right. But then looking back at the dashboard and the stack, it was like, well, we'll be okay. Right. And, and, and if I had to, and, and honestly, I mean, a big one of this was, I was fortunate enough to have Ryan on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And so he had a, a somewhat similar journey. He's, he's much further along than me from an entrepreneurial perspective, but he actually left corporate once and had to go back. And now he's a full-time entrepreneur again. And so just hearing that, and I think a lot of folks out there, when you think about surrendering to the unknown, what's really the downside scenario? Yeah, maybe I have to go back and get another sales job and I make a 50 or 60K salary. Yeah, that would not be an ideal situation, but can I still put food on the table? Can I still cover our mortgage? Is you know, Can my wife, even if she lost her job and she had to just get any type of job, do we have enough income coming in? And then not only that, but if we continue to grow our stack and as, as assets appreciate and as inflation rolls in and as our income stack grows and our cash flow stack grows, you know, we're kind of in a good spot, right? So I think when people start looking at this and thinking about it, it's a lot more attainable than you realize. But you know, within that, obviously what I'm saying makes it sound simple, but we had some pretty sizable equity gains over the last 12 months that obviously greatly impacted our ability to make these decisions. Man, you're dropping all the words in. I'm I'm trying to figure out which path I'm going to go down. And the first one I thought was, wait, is this some kind of fire thing? Like, are you just trying to minimize (laughs) your life to the point where, you know, you don't have any bills? Is that what you're doing? 
nah, 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 no, no way, no way. It's an, it's about all about abundance, man. I mean, you know, you're a Justin Breen fan more than anybody, right? It's all about abundance, right? We can't, we can't just, if what's the point in living if we just kind of strip away everything that's important to us, right? So it really what it's about is, is actually digging into your expenses and understanding which ones are providing you value and which ones aren't. And if the ones that aren't providing you value are they out there, then you need to take those away, right? And then now all of a sudden, that's more positive net cash flow you have on a monthly basis. I mean, I can honestly say we're in a good spot, but we don't have cable anymore, right? Just because we don't we don't watch it. I mean, you know, from an outsider's perspective, we're probably pretty boring because all night, you know, all day and night, we're kind of just tweaking our different, you know, content or websites or pursuing other deals or anything like that, right? I mean, this is kind of what we live and breathe. This is what gets us going and is excited outside of spending time with our kids. And as you mentioned, going on vacation. So, you know, I mean, we just went on a vacation. We spent way more money than we wanted to. Uh, I was kind of hoping my father-in-law would pitch in with some of the expenses a little bit more and, and he didn't. So <laughs> he's like, you just retired, man. Like, you know, treats on you. So no, I mean, it's all good. My wife's like, you, this is what you asked for. You know, the two things she told me were, if I were to retire, the two things that I had to promise her were I had to stay playful and I couldn't worry about money. And so, you know, she could just kind of keep throwing it back in my face. I'm like, I was like, you know, he didn't pay for dinner last couple of nights. He's like, you said you weren't going to complain about money. So I'm like, all right, well, there's nothing I can say about it. But, you know, it's more of realizing that you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And so if I was just complaining and, you know, disappointed that we had spent so much on this trip, right, when obviously our income has gone down quite a bit for the time being, what's the point in that, right? So for me, it's like, hey, all I need to do is find out another way to make that income back. And, and obviously, you know, I mean, we've built systems and and we have a lot of balls in the air that, that are going to come to fruition. And ironically, a lot faster than, than I realized, right? But I think that's the biggest one is, you know, it's all about abundance. Don't worry about stripping your, your life down and taking expenses away. If you're driving a $100,000 car and you don't really need it, you know, or, or, you know, it's not something of value to you. It's more just, Hey, you know, being able to show off and tell friends and other people that you have a hundred thousand dollar car, but if it's really something important to you, then you absolutely should get it. But if it's not delivering the commensurate value to you and you're not taking advantage of that particular expense on a monthly basis, then I think you should take it away. So it's a really introspective process and we've done a good job. There's still some things here and there that we can kind of do like I guess one that it's going to sound silly is I, I won't feed my kids anything but organic produce, right? Especially the berries and stuff. Like I don't need bananas or anything, you know, with the hard peels, but the stuff that, you know, that sucks up the pesticides, the blueberries, the raspberries, the, the blackberries, things like that. I know it sounds so silly, but it's about twice as much, right? But that's something that's important to me, right? And that's what they're putting in their body. So it's, you have to look at things like that and just draw a line and say, is this important to me or is it not? And I think, you know, when you actually sit down and, and look through it, you can really cut out a lot of things in your expenses, but then there's a lot of things that you're going to realize that are like, this is really important to me. You know, I don't want to cut this out. This is something that I want to have in my life, my children's life, my family's life, whatever the case is. Wow. Wow. So you've done some soul searching. So I got to ask the day before you went in and told folks, Hey, I'm done with this. What was the discussion like at home? Like, cause I'm sure you talked to the the lady, the wife before you went in and did this just to make sure that she was cool. Because if not, I mean, you probably would have got divorce papers, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, so I guess, you know, always having to be the center of attention. So this, this conversation is actually having happening on mother's day, right? <laughs> so, I mean, credit to my wife for just the amazing, you know, human being she is and just beautiful woman and, and loving mother. But so, yeah, I mean, it just, Honestly, it's going to sound really silly, but I knew that my boss had put a meeting on my calendar that just as soon as it hit my calendar, my, my stomach sank, right? Because they had already kind of been busting my chops about, 
getting more active on LinkedIn, trying to build more of a personal brand presence. My, my production and my skills had not diminished in any way, right? I was still the top performer on my team, but they felt that it was a bad look for them from a culture perspective that, hey, this guy's doing this all day, which I wasn't doing it all day, but I was doing, you know, I mean, how long does it take to make a post? Five minutes, maybe even less if you've already pre-decided on the content that you're putting out. So it's really a minimal amount of effort or, or time that you're putting into that, but they, they weren't comfortable with that. They weren't comfortable when the podcast came out. And so, you know, after a while that just got overwhelming and overbearing, right? I felt like I couldn't be the real person, the real John Bland that the world needs to see. And I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that just even since I've given my notice and, and moved on, you know, a lot of the things I say are engaging and resonate with a lot of people, which makes me really happy because I think a lot of other people feel the same way I do and have a lot of the similar struggles that I do, you know, trading, you know, what they think is this income and security and sacrificing what they see as fulfillment, right? And, and I, the reality and what I've kind of come to finally is that that's not the case, right? And the, and the fact that my wife was able to, to recognize that with me together and we're able to work together through it is just such a blessing. So, so we were talking about it, you know, there are a lot of tears shed, you know, I mean, for most of my adult life, my entire life as a parent, you know, I'd been working for a company, right. And I, I'd taken a lot of pride in the amount of money that I made and the success that I had. Like I said, I mean, I was the number one rep on the team for seven years, right. I mean, that's a long time. And so seven and a half years. And so, you know, we just talked about it. And I just said, one of the things that I had promised her beforehand as well is that I would end on good terms. Right. And I just said, I know when we go in this meeting, the last meeting a quarter earlier, he was already picking at me a little bit. Right. My numbers were better then, Right. So I know my numbers had depressed a little bit and, you know, part, part of that was my fault, but also part of it was just the way that the customer was buying in, in, in the market at this point in time. Right. So I knew he was just going to continue to pick at me. And so, you know, I leaned into my better judgment and I just said, Hey, this is the time, right? Because if he starts picking at me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand down, right? Because I believe in what I'm saying and I believe in the path that I'm going in, and I know long term this is the direction I'm gonna go. And the other thing was, what's fifty, another fifty, another hundred, even another two hundred thousand dollars? Is that really gonna change my life, right? I, I just looked at it and I said, I don't think so. So what am I sacrificing from a lifestyle perspective or short term? When I looked at it so short-sightedly and I said, oh, oh gosh, well, if I stay here through through this date, I'll make another 50 grand. If I stay here through this date, I'll make another 100 grand. But what was, what was I sacrificing in myself and in my time, which I can't ever get back? I can make another $100,000, but I can't make another year in my life. And so, you know, we had the conversation and, you know, I think I made it clear to her that I just didn't think that I was going to be able to, to handle that conversation in the most professional manner. So just went in, you know, first thing Monday morning and just said, called my boss. And he's like, what's up, dude? Like we have a good, my boss had a good relationship. Me and my boss's boss, you know, we were fine, but you know, just, he was, he was a micromanager. Right. So it's just not my style. I'm just like, go with the flow. So I was like, Oh, sorry. I got some bad news for you. I was like, I just don't, you know, I just don't think this is going to work anymore. Like, I just think it's time for John Blanton and, and my company to, you know, to terminate the relationship, you know, and I'm just like, and he's like, Oh, okay. You know? And I mean, fortunately they were extremely amicable and, and I, I really think they didn't expect it. Right. You know, we had had kind of, you know, back and forth before. And so I think they respected it. I was talking to my buddies that I work with there and they're just like, they don't even want you to leave. Cause it was like, <laughs> I was like, when they're like, when's your last day? When's your last? I was like, they haven't even told me yet. You know, honestly, the pro the actual process itself ended up being really smooth. And I feel really comfortable in the way that it ended in that, you know, I gave them everything I could. I transitioned everything that I could to make sure that, you know, that they had the ease of, you know, taking on as what, whatever they could from my perspective as, as possible. So I think that was something that wasn't important to me before, but looking back, you know, I don't think it would have been a good personal experience to get fired. That was my perspective before. I don't really care if they fire me because look, I'm already out now, right? What's the difference if they fired me or not, but 
I think, you know, that was just a big maturity thing that I, I went through. And I'm so grateful that I did because the way that it ended versus the way that I eventually thought it was going to end was just me pushing the envelope further, 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 further. And then them just saying, Hey, John, it's, you know, we're going to let you go. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, I had my wife to kind of keep me on a straight and narrow. And, and, you know, that whole time in the back of my mind is like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't want to let her down. And thankfully I didn't. And I mean, like I said, the response has just been resounding. I'm just so grateful. The crowd is absolutely thrilled about everything that's happening right now. So happy wife, happy life. Okay. So you go and you tell them they give you this kind of ambiguous period for when you're actually going to be done. And I looked at your profile recently. It says financial independence faster, right? And so there's a lot of people probably listening to this and they're thinking 50, 60, maybe 70 is when they get to retire. And you're saying you did it at 34. What is financial independence faster and how can people get it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, like we talked about before, you know, there's a quantitative aspect to it, but there's also a qualitative aspect to it. So could my wife quit? Absolutely. But it, does it make sense for our family at this point in time? Absolutely not, right? We don't have that abundant level yet in regards to our investment and our different cash flow sources from the stack right now. We're getting there, we're working on it, we're building them, but it's a journey and it's an evolution, right? And so the first step in the evolution was one of us stepping out. And it just so happened that it made the most sense for me to be the one to take the first step out, right? And you know, once I kind of continue my evolution and grow and build and, and have more income coming in from either the 1099 business or passive stacks, you know, then eventually, you know, we probably will get to the point where we have the conversation of, hey, does it make sense for you to take a step back or to work part time or whatever the case is? And so for folks out there that want to do it faster, you know, the only way to do it faster is to have large, sizable equity gains, right? I mean, that's just, that's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because if you're scaling and growing a business, the business is gaining in equity value. If you're buying real estate at market value, your equity position is, is more or less just what you've put in in regards to the investment, right? And, and you know, and that's the one that really gets me right now is there's such an opportunity within the business realm that people just don't realize. I love real estate. You know, real estate's my go-to. But if you're not buying under market 20 or 30%, in my opinion, there's a lot of risk there right now. And, you know, you talk about the eviction moratoriums. You talk about the, you know, the potential, you know, interest rate movements or cap rate movements or whatever, right? Not saying it won't play out, but in five years from now, if it, if it plays out the other way and doesn't work, how many people are going to be saying, I told you so, right? There's just, there's that, the cushion and that room for error right now is, is tighter than it probably has been in a really long time, right? And, that, and that's what scares me. We're on the business side. You know, all you got to do is go and acquire a new customer with the apartment building. If you have a hundred units, you know, you can only fill a hundred, you can't fill 101 or 110 or 150 units, right? But if you've got a product, a widget, a service or whatever, and, and you can optimize it and automate it and systemize it, you can sell that to the world, right? It's all about your voice, getting your branding out there. And so, so that would be my point to people is, you know, don't just say, hey, I want to be a passive investor, right? Because I mean, you and I have talked about this at nauseum, but you know, if you had a million dollars cash, you know, and this is the thing that I think net worth is kind of silly, right? Because when you look at your net worth, regardless of what the SEC says, you know, and I know that how they count things, but I think that's, I guess their, their thought process is a little bit similar to mine, but the equity in your home, you should take that out and you should take out your 401k, anything that's illiquid that you can't quickly turn into cash or into an investment vehicle in my mind can't work for you. So it's great that you have it. And obviously it's something you've worked for and gained, but you can't leverage that to create any type of cash flow. You can't, you know, you've said it before and I love it. I mean, you can't eat equity, right? It's great that you have that equity, but you can't use that equity to pay bills or anything of that sort. 
And so I think that's just when people are looking at it, so you have to have a million dollars liquid, right? So say you're, you know, 40, 45, whatever the case is, and you got 250,000 in your 401k, you got 150,000 equity in your house. You're like, oh shoot, man, like I'm a millionaire, right? I've got a million dollars in net worth. Well, maybe you've only got 500 or 600,000 that you can invest actively. You know, so if you do that strictly passively at an 8% preferred return on $600,000, that's $48,000 a year. If you got a family, Ooh, wait, 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 because all of the syndicators are going to say, get your eight prep. <laughs> you can get it. You can get it. But I still think, you know, even just being a millionaire, you haven't, you haven't reached the, the end goal. Right. I, I think people underestimate, you know, how difficult it can be at times from a passive investor perspective to create returns and yield. Right. That's why I, you know, I've talked to multiple syndicators that said, that's why they didn't pursue multifamily. This is five, 10, you know, years ago it was because it was so aggressive and the yield just wasn't there. So you know, I was thinking about putting a post out for this. So I'll drop a little bit of it now, but talking about, you know, honestly, I think most LPs are uneducated, not because they don't understand the tactical side of it. They understand the quantitative side of it, but they don't understand the qualitative. The investments that they're making do not align with their long-term outcome desires, right? If you want to invest passively, if you want to invest passively into a deal at a 6% cash flow and a 12% preferred return over the over the, the, the state of the deal, why did you spend all that time to, to learn that sponsor, to understand them? Why not just keep your money in the ETF for the S&P 500, you know, what's really, what's really the difference, right? I mean, it's not going to be that sizable of a difference over the course of time. I mean, I know people will talk about, you know, compounding and things like that, but now you've got to get your capital back. So you're not going to deploy your capital instantaneously as soon as you get it back. So then compounding stops. And not only that, but now are you going to use the same sponsor? Are you not? If inflation takes place, you know, the S&P 500 has probably got a little bit better room to run than that 12%, you know, static preferred return that that's going to be stuck, right? So, I just think, again, if you're worth $5 million, is passive investing great? Absolutely, right? Or if even you know, even at $2 million, if you had $2 million liquid that you could invest as a passive at an 8% preferred return, that's $160,000 a year. For the majority of folks listening or for the majority of folks in this country, that's a very healthy lifestyle to live based off of that. But then the question you need to ask yourself, how far away are you from $2 million liquidity, right? Because when you can't count your 401k, when you can't count the equity in your home, right? And I think those are the type of questions people need to ask themselves is not, is this return profile a fit for me as far as what I'm comfortable with from a return perspective, but does this strategy really align with what my long-term aspirations are? If you want to retire in five years, you shouldn't be investing as a passive investor. That's just, that's just the long and short of it. Wait, so if I can't do it as a passive investor, then what should I be doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? That's why they pay me the big bucks, right? You know, that's that's the problem that I'm trying to solve for folks. And, and I think, you know, from what I've heard and seen, it's a very common problem out there in that, you know, it's really going to come down to your risk tolerance and your ability to invest time, right? So if you say you want to be retired in a short time frame, it's going to take a large amount of effort, deal flow, more than anything, regardless of what you're pursuing. It doesn't matter if you're a passive, active real estate, business, private equity, anything, right? You need your funnel full at all times for deal flow, right? And that takes time, effort, and majority of time that's during working business, core working business hours, right? So if you have a job that you're on the phone 24 seven, you know, seven to seven or whatever the case is, well, you know, if you want to get there, you might have to change jobs, right? I mean, I mean, it's not, this is, we're not playing, right? 
We're not just saying like, hey, I'm not changing anything, but I want to add this in. No, the reality is you you need to change, right? And so that's where I was fortunate. And I was in outside sales. So I had a little bit more control over my schedule than a lot of people. And I think that's why, you know, I re- my message really resonates with other, other sales professionals. Because as long as you're hitting your metrics, as long as you're hitting your sales targets, things are pretty hunky-dory, right? They're not going to really squeeze you too hard. Obviously, you know, if it's the end of a quarter or the end of a sales cycle, you know, they're going to want to try to get more juice out of the squeeze. But in general, you know, it's really going to come down to the commitment of what's your strategy and, and what's your overarching outcome that you desire. I don't think enough people ask themselves, what's the outcome I desire from it? They're just like, oh my gosh, this is a 16 IRR. This is awesome. Or, you know, I was even thinking today, I was just like, you know, these people that are investing in these tertiary or even, you know, even worse markets. And it's like, oh, it's a 13% preferred return. It's so safe. It's like compared to what, you know, like, I mean, you know, safe compared to sitting in your savings account, you know, but they're hating on crypto and stuff. And it's like, I'm not saying that crypto isn't volatile, but you know, I mean, it's just a different medium. And as long as you understand it and it fits your strategy and it's part of your portfolio, I think that's the important part to understand. So I think a lot of this judgment is people just say, Hey, I love real estate and I love real estate too. But does that mean it's the only tool that I'm using my tool belt? Absolutely not. Wow. Okay. So I can't be passive. I need to have deal flow and be ready to be an active investor and then create equity through the business. Take that equity, put it into something from an investment standpoint, and that can be more passive, but only after, you know, you're a multimillionaire two or better is kind of the prescription you're writing. I mean, for the lifestyle, the majority of us want to live, right? Which is more that abundant lifestyle where you can go on family vacations, you can buy the organic produce, you can, you know, you can send your kids to the public, the private school if you want to. And, you know, you can have some discretionary cash to go, you know, on a shopping spree here and there or whatever, right? I mean, that's, that's the prescription that I would give. Absolutely. I just think that people are wanting to get there so fast and it's totally possible. It is entirely possible. That's been the most eye-opening thing. Just even within two weeks, the amount of outreach that I've had just shows to me how possible it is to get there quickly. But it takes quite a bit of risk tolerance and self-belief to make it happen, right? And I think that's the thing. A lot of times it's, it's scary, right? I should have quit a long time ago because I was scared. And finally, going back to it from before, I just surrendered to the unknown and said, you know, if it doesn't work out, what's the worst case scenario? I'm not going to be in a cardboard box. I'm not going to be on the street. My family is going to have food on the table. I have a beautiful family. What's the worst that can happen? Betting on myself. Wow. Okay. 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 That deserves a bomb, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It deserves a bomb. (laughs) Bet on yourself. All right. So you were kept tight. You said at least two times. There's levels to lifestyle or levels to living. Is that part of the framework for the cash flow stack? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, I mean, and that's kind of where we are in our journey, right? So I kind of break it down into four different steps, right? So your job dependence. So what that means is that if you quit your job, your monthly expenses would not be covered by the cash flow you have coming in from any other sources. So your ability to not go into debt is dependent upon having a job, right? And that's the majority of where folks start right? Most of us aren't entrepreneurs coming out of school or or whatever the case is. Some of us are, but they still may (laughs) be at a net negative, you know, monthly from an expense perspective. So yeah, you begin job dependent and then you just slowly start working away, working away, working away, right? I mean, it took us five years to really kind of build out this plan, right? I mean, the last 12 months have been exponential, but that doesn't mean that we hadn't been busting our butts and, you know, had a lot of swings and misses, lost a lot of money throughout that whole five-year process. And so then the next the next point is independent, right? So that that's where we're at right now. And so again, if we subtracted my wife's monthly net income, her salary, her income, 
out, we would still be able to cover our expenses on a monthly basis based off our, you know, our, our uh, business and passive and, and 1099 income that we have right now. Then after that, you know, then it starts getting a lot more fun, right? And that's why, that's why when I mentioned we're still on our journey, we're still trying to get even higher, then you got to get to discretionary, right? That's where you can kind of spend your money a little bit more freely. You could take fancier vacations. You don't have to worry. You can maybe take on a higher car payment or whatever the case is. I don't want to get in an argument about paying cash for cars or financing or whatever, right? You know, there's different strategies. You know, I'd love to lease, but we just drive too many miles. So, you know, we just can't, you know, it just, it, it isn't feasible back to the, the strategy, the outcome that you want, right? You know, I'd love to do different things financially, but it just, you know, it's not going to be a fit for our family. So, I mean, discretionary is where I think really where the gains start happening, right? That's when you have at least 50% above your monthly expenses in, in, in discretionary cash flow that's coming in on a monthly basis, right? And then ultimately- Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You said 50%. So you're telling me if I got $5,000 a month in expenses, I need $2,500 in discretionary cash flow in order to be at the discretionary level, or I got to be at- or $5,000. How does that math work? Break the math down for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's say your monthly expenses are $5,000, right? Just as you alluded to. So then anything above 5,001, you'd be independent, right? Because you could leave your job. So if you have enough cash flow coming in from either 1099 business or passive sources, you have the ability to go out and quit your job if you want to, because you're no longer job dependent. You know, obviously if there's something crazy that happened, I wouldn't say you shouldn't have reserves, something crazy happened, you know, obviously you may have to come up with a little bit of extra scratch on that monthly basis. But just because you have more coming in on a monthly basis than covers your not minimum, but close to minimum expenses. What if you wanted to buy something fun, right? You know, your wife wanted something nice or your kids. I mean, you know, my daughter just started cheerleading, right? That's like five grand a year, you know, just for her to do cheerleading and stuff. And I'm just like, I was telling my wife, I was like, well, now you can't quit until she's out of cheerleading because we just can't afford it. You know, if we <laughs> And she's like, she loves it. She loves it. But, but yeah, I mean, things like that, right. You know, that are important and matter to you. It, it really adds up quickly. So what's that five grand a year. So that's like what 400, 500 bucks a month. Right. Okay. Well now our monthly expenses just went up by, I mean, we, we calculated that in, but I'm just in this example. And now our monthly expenses just went up by $500. Right. So maybe that, you know, maybe that tips you back over to job dependent or between the different tiers. So that's why I really think it takes about 50% over your monthly cash flow to come in to feel that discretionary. I guess I don't love this word, but comfortable, right? You know, if something happened, like we live in a newer house, but our HVAC broke and they didn't, they didn't warranty it well enough. And so we had to buy a new HVAC for five grand, three years after we moved into the house, right? Brand new house, like brand new system. And so life happens. And I, and I think that's the point is like, we never wanted to put ourselves in a position that we would feel desperate and we would be scared for living our life. Because what's the difference between staying at my job and being miserable there than waking up every morning and being miserable in my life? And so I think that was a big point that, that I was trying to get to is like, how do I get comfortable enough that when this actually happens, this leap of faith happens? Because that's what it is, regardless of what systems you have or how built out you have it, that's what it's going to ultimately be. And so I think that's why independent is great, but I think people need to continue striving to get to discretionary. And then obviously, you know, when you're super balling and you got two times your monthly expenses, you know, I, I had to kind of be, have some fun with it. So I call it Island living, right? So when you got two times your monthly expenses, you know, you could drop a couple thousand dollars on a nice vacation here or there, maybe even monthly, you know, heck who cares, right? You know, as long as you can handle it and, you know, take in enough cash flow the next month. And so I think that's really why I have it as a journey and a progression is because that's, that's the way life works, right? You kind of have to walk through those gates, you know, as, as time goes on, right? You got to get 
to run that mile, right? You, you got to run the first lap first and then the second lap and then the third lap and then the fourth lap. And then, and then you get there and you're like, geez, like, man, I can push myself farther. Right. And I think that's, what's got me so excited right now is it's like, now I'm looking at these gates and I'm just like, man, it's going to feel so good to pass those. And, you know, I really think I'm going to pass them in a much more expedited fashion than I had had initially expected. Wow. Wow. So we've got discretionary, you got Island living, we've got what are the dependent and what's the other it's in, four, independent, right? independent, it, independent. And what's the fourth one? So it's job. De- so you're, you start off, most job. people are going to start off job dependent. And then job obviously dependent. you make enough from cash flow outside of your job. You become independent, independent, then discretionary, you, then, then discretionary, island then living. island living. Then you're balling, Woo. balling outrageous. Man, I wish I had some uh, hula music so we could do the <laughs> island living thing. That's outstanding. Okay. And so now the people out there, right, they, they're in those states. And then you were telling me at one point, there's like four different A's, right? They're like awakening and all this other stuff. Can you walk me through the four A's? Yeah. So it's really distilled down to a stack rank, right? So we were just talking from a cash flow versus expenses perspective, but there's a lot of other variables that are involved too, right? Because you have to look at how how hard you're working. If you're making $100,000 a year, but you're working 80 hours a week, or you're making $100,000 a year and you're working 20 hours a week, there's a big delta there in the amount of labor that you're actually putting in to, to receive that level of income, right? So, so there, the stack rank is a breakdown of your cash flow versus your expenses, which is a you know obviously a big portion of that because that's obviously going to change you know your monthly net negative positive whatever it is into those four states that you talked about. But then you also have to look at your labor efficiency and then also your tax efficiency, right? I mean, you talked about that trip. I mean, that was an investor summit, right? You know, I had I had a couple investors, I had a couple key principals with me there, right? So, I mean, that thing is going to actually minimize my 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 tax liability, right? You know, when you look at it from a W two perspective, I would have had to make whatever vacation cost four grand. I would have had to make six thousand dollars just to cover that expense. Well, now I can just make four thousand dollars and write the whole thing off, right? Because, you know, I'm not a I'm not a tax I'm not a tax professional, so obviously consult your own personal tax professionals. But like I said, you know, we had six investors from our group there with us discussing business opportunities and ventures. And yeah, we got to partake in in some activities that were fun, you know, and and entertaining. But so that's what the stack rank really comes down to, right, is is kind of accumulation of those different sources, right? So you look at your, your net cash flow versus your expenses, you look at your labor efficiency and your tax efficiency. And I mean, I love, you know, saving taxes as much as the next person, but really labor efficiency, I feel is a little bit more important and pertinent because again, I find time more value. We can always make more money. So we can always find a way to, you know, make more money. And, you know, if taxes eat up a percentage of it, that's fine, but we don't have a way to make more time. Right. And so that's why I think labor efficiency is extremely important when people are looking at it. So, so yeah, as far as the stack rank, you know, it's four levels, right? So the first one is, uh, you know, I feel like when a lot of people look at the stack and they really break it down, like, oh man, I'm job dependent. Oh man, my labor efficiency is low. Oh man, my tax efficiency is low. So, uh, you know, so the level D is is awakening, right? They're like, oh shoot, like it, it's easy to see. It's hard to see, especially if you're a high income professional. You're like, hey, I'm doing really well, living the American dream, getting to the, you know, where I want to be in life. And but you're, but then you look at the stack and you're just like, oh shoot, like all my income's tied to this one source. You know, if, if I don't work these hours or if I don't go in, you know, over a period of time, of course, after your time off is taken up or whatever, you're not getting paid, right? I mean, so however you want to slice it, you're job dependent. Maybe not that job, but a job, right? And then from there, obviously it goes to aspiring, 
right? So you kind of realize and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm growing, I'm getting better. I have different sources coming in. I'm becoming more efficient in different mediums, in different areas. Then level B is action, right? So you're, you're slowly growing and taking it on and climbing higher and higher and then achievement, right? That's, I guess the thought is that, you know, you're, you're starting to get more achievements. You're starting to grow personally in business and you're getting there, right? And again, it's a journey, right? Everybody's journey is different, but you know, you've been able to build things on the side. You've been able to become more efficient from a labor perspective, been able to become more efficient from a tax perspective. You're getting all these ancillary benefits. And that's the crazy thing is there's so many benefits to owning your own business and to having these, right? I mean, the, 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 probably the least of any of those is creating cash flow, right? The benefits outside of that are just tremendous, you know, in terms of controlling your time more easily and, you know, tax efficiency. And, and again, we're not talking about buying businesses that we're working 60 hours a week within, right? We're looking at very tactical and strategic acquisitions that we see low-hanging fruit, no different than be it a multifamily acquisition where you're like, oh, geez, that's going to be an easy spot to raise rents. Oh, geez, there's no digital presence on this company. Well, that'll be a super low-hanging fruit. You know, they don't have an email list. They don't have this, that, and the other from a digital perspective. And it, it's just crazy what you can look at. And so I think People just need to make sure to kind of go in eyes wide open, realizing that, you know, a lot of times within real estate, you're dictated by the market, right? Whereas in businesses, the valuations don't sway as much as the market kind of draws that, you know, forces them to. So just like I said, I love both. And I think, you know, they're kind of similar enough in a lot of nuances that, you know, it's not too hard to evaluate one versus another, but also, you know, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew and go, you know, shotgun approach in, in 20 different directions. But if you're really concise and have a really good idea of what your target acquisition company may look like, I think it gets a lot simpler. And, you know, like we've talked a lot about before clarity, right? It gives you a lot better clarity of, of what you can look for, what you can target. When you see that business, you can know quickly, hey, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. You know, hey, I know this one can scale quickly. And then in turn, back to what you said before, that's how you grow equity. And, and the nice thing about businesses, just like real estate is you're growing equity, you're growing cash flow too. So you don't, you know, you can, you can let that you can let that cash cow just grow and just, you know, continue to take on that cash. Or if you so choose, you can choose to have an equity event and and harvest the equity and, and liquidate the asset. So, I mean, to me, what could be better? Hey, do I want to keep making more money or do I want to sell this off and make a, a big fat chunk all at once? Right. I mean, those are, to me, those are pretty good exit strategies. So that's why I, I feel not that there isn't downside risk and there are downside scenarios, you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. There absolutely are, but you know, if you're, if you're doing it right, strategic, if you have the right people around you guiding you to success, I absolutely think it's possible. And that's how you can get there quickly. Okay. And so I, this, some people are like, oh man, this is all theory. So I want you <laughs> to give us the very practical thing that you did over this course of 63 days where you, you had the capital event, you harvested some equity, and then you took another piece of that business and continued to grow it. So let, let's talk about what you did last year, just to show people how this actually works. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, kind of being contrarian or, or looking at creative strategies, how to make these things happen, because that that's the only way to make these things happen quickly. You can't go the mainline route and expect to be able to get wealthy and rich quickly. It's just not going to happen, right? For the majority of us, maybe 1% or less than 1%, right company, right place, right time, IPO, whatever the case is, right? So if that's not you, which is the majority of people, the only way to get there quickly is to be creative, right? So one strategy that I took on that was unique that, you know, even today I saw a, an article talking about how cold calling is dead. And, you know, it's just funny 
Because just like we're talking about right now, passive investing, active investing, the different mediums that you want to try to take on in the time frame and the risk tolerance, right? These are all variables that we're just turning the dials on to understand who we are as people and how we can get there and what time frame we want. Well, yeah, in a lot of industries, cold calling is dead. But for older owners of properties that you know are, are kind of getting the latter, the twilight stages of their life during COVID, how many people are they really talking to? You know, so they get a random phone call from an individual, and so I, I had actually quite a bit of success directly contacting owners strictly through cold calling through COVID, and that's how this was able to arise. Was had an older seller. As the conversation was happening, I, she actually mentioned to me that she had another property. She was she was like, if I'm going to sell it, I want to sell both of them, right? And I didn't really want to buy the other property, but I thought if I can get it at a low enough basis that I could in turn turn around and, and flip that one and, and you know use a lot of that equity to, to pay for the down payment of the other one that I really did want. And so, you know, so we ended up acquiring the properties and, you know, was fortunate enough, like you said, within 63 days, I mean, first of all, both properties were fully occupied upon acquisition. We bought them for probably 50 to 60% of market value. Minimal distress, of course, CapEx. Of course, there were some CapEx and some construction events that needed to happen on the exterior of the property. But more than more or less, we, we didn't have to do anything to rent them. Let me put it that way, right? So it wasn't like, you know, they had down units or whatever. They were fully occupied. So when people say, oh, that doesn't happen, or that's not reality, you know, I mean, I'm living proof that it happened, but it's because I took action, right? It wasn't because I said, oh, I'm going to network with brokers. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, I picked up the phone. I spent thousands of dollars buying lists. I spent thousands of dollars on due diligence costs. I took on the risk. That was a risk that I had. If that didn't succeed, that was money I would never get back, right? Not that I couldn't make more, but in this in these particular instances, that was money I just couldn't get back, right? And so, you know, just so fortunate. I mean, <laughs> the deal that the, the the bigger deal that we bought, fourteen units. I mean, it's just like it's just trucking along. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's making us, you know, four or five thousand dollars a month net cash flow after expenses and everything. And then the other deal, we just spun off and we sold it. And we made over sixty thousand dollars, right? And that's just one transaction. And so between those two properties, I know it, it sounds astronomical, but you know we had an equity gain of about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I mean, you know, for people out there that want to have it happen, <laughs> for people out there that want to have it happen fast, it is possible. But it comes down to what can you take on, and what are you willing to do, and how creatively can you get there? And you know what? I guarantee there's plenty of other properties out there that could be purchased at that low of a basis, and businesses too, right? Because you look at this, the struggle right now. Overall, apartment owners haven't really had the effects of COVID as much as small business owners, right? So is there a business you can see out there right now that may be depressed strictly because of the pandemic, but then in turn can start turning up and maybe you can you know, get that owner out of a tough spot right now because they need the equity to, to live off of or whatever the case is. You know, and so are there opportunities, right? So for me, I'm just an opportunist and I'm constantly looking at opportunities. And so if I can talk to somebody and they're willing to sell the property to me and I can solve the problem that they have, at a basis that I'm comfortable with, it's a win-win, right? And that's what I did for that seller. I created a win-win. The transaction was extremely seamless for her. She really didn't do anything except sign the documents. And so for her, the, the max sale proceeds wasn't really the issue, right? It was for her having a smooth transaction and just having her hands wiped of it. And so I solved that problem for her. But I didn't make assumptions about what I thought her problem was. I just asked her, felt her out. And as we continued the conversations, we realized that there was a mutual benefit there. Okay. 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 That deserves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> look, look, John, that is outstanding. And so the people may be thinking, well, why 
do you why are you telling us about this like why do you even care to share this with everybody else most people are just trying to figure out me and mine right you know it's my family you know i just got to get my wife out of the job now and then we can just go be a happy family and but that's not where you're going right i think you're making a significance play so let, let's talk about why you've packaged up the stack how people can get it and maybe just kind of put a bow on this before we go into the contrary in three pack. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I think, you know, this is kind of a big part of my journey. I know we didn't go through, you know, every, you know, line by line in general, but, you know, I realized pretty early on after reaching these different levels that society would deem as successful from an income perspective, 150, 200, $250,000, it was a lot more shallow than I realized, right? I didn't feel any different making 150 versus 250. I paid a lot more taxes. That's for darn sure. You know, I mean, but I didn't feel any different. We didn't live any larger of a lifestyle. Yeah. Maybe we spend a little bit more money on some discretionary things, but that feeling of impact just wasn't there. Right. And I just feel like that's what I'm missing. And that's kind of where live fulfilled came from is, you know, I want to live a life of wealth, health, but also of impact. Right. I want to have a lasting impact, not only on my family, but on others. And I guess I feel so fortunate for the opportunities that I've been blessed with that I've taken advantage of, but that have been put in front of me to be accomplished. And I just want other people to feel that too. I just think it's so empowering to be able to make some of these things on your own and get out of something that you don't feel as you're trapped within. Right. And I just think that's such a, such a tough feeling. And I know so many professionals feel that way. I can't quit. I've got a family. I've got a wife. I've got a spouse. I've got kids. I can't do this. You actually can. You staying there is a choice, right? Not saying you should do it tomorrow in a year, two years, three years, five years, but you can get out. And so that's what I'm working on is strategies and ways that people, we can look at their, we can look at their circumstances. We can look at their cash flow stack. We can look at their current liquidity positions, we can look at their current investments and we can say, hey, how do we create a roadmap to get that outcome that you desire? Because that's what it's about, right? It doesn't matter who I am, what I can do. It's can they get that outcome? And I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in other people. And I'm just excited to help other people get there because I just, it's so empowering, you know, and I know that they'll roll it forward and help others as well. And so, I mean, really, honestly, it's all come down to impact. And that's why I decided that staying in corporate just wasn't worth it anymore because I was a big part of corporate wheel, you know, two big companies, multi-billion dollar companies doing business together. If John Blanton died, does that change anything at all? Absolutely not. Right. And so, you know, now I'm really focusing on impact. We are focusing on more philanthropic endeavors as well. And, you know, we just want to help other people because we're so fortunate. And I just feel like everybody else deserves the opportunity to feel the way that we do. Wow. 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 That's, that's beautiful, man. I think the folks who are most abundant are the ones who continue to grow their abundance instead of it being taken away. So kudos to you for taking that approach. And so I'm looking at the graphic for the artwork. It says, think different, earn different, live fulfilled, right? And you, you dropped a little bit on the live fulfilled. Talk a little bit about the earn different and the thing different, and then I'll roll into the contrary in three pack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think kind of the creativity goes back to the think different, right? You know, if I didn't start thinking differently about, hey, I read the Joe Fairless book about you got to just network with brokers, right? You just got to do that all day long. Cold calling is dead, right? And, you know, I've got great relationships with brokers, but I'm not going to be the guy more often than not that's going to pay the, the top dollar for that asset, right? And so because of that, regardless of my relationship with them, they might like me more than some other buyer, but if that other buyer is going to bring more cash or, you know, be willing to pay a higher price. So again, going back to those creative strategies, and that's what thinking different to me means is how do I create strategies to create efficiencies, 
within my life, but also within my businesses, right? That's what we are just breaking down is what's the low hanging fruit? How can I make the most impact with the minimum, most minimal effort, right? And it's crazy because once you start seeing these patterns, and I know, I know we've talked about it before, but just in, from a marketing perspective and from a branding and from a messaging perspective, once you start seeing these patterns, it's just, it's, it's amazing, right? You see them everywhere and it's just crazy. And so I think that's really what it comes down to is how can you have the biggest impact with the least amount of effort? And I know that's going to be hard for a lot of people to comprehend, but that's really the whole impetus behind the stack. And then the earn different, we've talked about that obviously throughout the episode in regards to the different ways, right? There's a lot more tax efficient ways that you can make income. You can make a lot less income, but still live a much more abundant life if you're making income that you can write off active expenses against from be it a business or be it uh, 1099, right? And that's why I love passive, but you know the reality is that if you don't have material participation in that particular investment, then you're not gonna be able to write off active income against it, right? And I mean, again, talk to your CPA. Uh, you know, I've argued that at nauseum with multiple people, but the most consistent response that I've gotten back personally is that if you do not have material participation in that particular deal, then you are passive on that deal and you aren't able to write off anything or any of the depreciation from that deal against other active income. But again, clarify that with your, your tax professional. All right. We're staying out of hot water on this one. We're going to send them to the expert. So let's dive into the contrarian three pack. John, what is the most contrarian investment you've ever made? No, this one's crazy. It's probably going to catch you off guard, but I mean, I think it was my first mentor, right? I'm just, I'm a stubborn person. And I'm somebody that thinks I can figure everything out. And I thought I had already figured it out, right? So to, to, so to invest in myself and pay somebody to kind of help me build a roadmap for where I needed to get to, I think that was a big step for me to overcome. And, and since then, obviously, I've spent thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on personal development and people that have helped expedite my journey. And so I think that's one that people really need to look at is it's almost like a business psychologist, right? They can be from afar, seeing what you're doing, kind of like, you know, not you don't always have to agree and you're not always going to follow all the direction that they give you, but at least gives you an idea and, you know, kind of somebody looking over your shoulder to be like, should you be doing that? You know, just gives you an opportunity to, to, to discuss it with somebody else. So I, I think business coaching and paid mentorship is extremely valuable. And fortunately for me, you know, those, those folks have become some of my closest confidants and closest friends. So you know, my wife is always like, I don't need to pay for friends. <laughs> I was like, I guess I do, but you know, it seems like it's working out, but she's, she's coming around. I'm getting her there. So, but I think that's the big one for me is paid mentorship and coaching. So it's interesting. And I'm going to shoot back at your wife now because I think there's a difference, right? Your friends, they're not obligated to help you. And they don't really, outside of liking you, they don't have a vested interest in your success, right? And they may not even be the expert on the thing that you're working on. And that's the piece that I think people lose in is it's not that you're paying for friendship. You're paying somebody to be the fiduciary as you're going on the path to tell you the thing that is best for you, not for them, right? Because you'll have friends who give you guidance that's going to benefit them. And as you, you can talk to your partner and your partner can say, well, you know, for the collective good, this is the best thing. But when you pay somebody to actually come into your world and be that voice, whether they're advocating for your dream or advocating for the things that you say are most important to you, but you tend to put on a back burner because of everybody else, somebody needs to give that voice. Because oftentimes when you're the hero of your family, well, you know, you don't have a voice for the things you want. So I, I always argue that because I don't think it's actually friendship. And I think if I take it to a higher level, I think it's a different level. 
of accountability. Once you make that transaction, you text somebody who's your friend, they may just give you some off the cuff response. You text somebody who's your coach, they better be thinking about it and not just giving you some, you know, off the cuff kind of whirly twirly. And then you go do it and you're like, dude, what happened? And it's like, oh, well, I didn't know that you were actually like going to go do it. <laughs> like, and I guess the other piece of it, and this one probably hit home most for me was if you don't do any form of transaction and the likelihood that you actually listen to the guidance goes down dramatically because there's nothing lost versus I'm paying this person. They obviously have some knowledge that maybe I don't have or some experiences. So maybe I should listen to them. And even if I don't really want to, I justify it by saying, well, I gave them money, so I, I need to do the thing. So those are two or three points why I don't think you're actually paying for friends. So I, I wouldn't let her say that. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. And I mean, it's all about perspective and perception. And, you know, obviously she allows me to do it. I wouldn't do it if she had an issue with it. So, you know, um, and she's seen the strides that I've made. So, you know, I think some for of it's sure. her giving me some, you know, chiding me a little bit. She's picking a little bit. You guys do that. I, I love the fun that you guys have in your relationship. So question number two of the three pack, what's your favorite activity to do with friends or family outside of business? We just love being outside. I mean, you mentioned we went to the beach. I mean, so we were fortunate enough to go to one of our favorite spots, Bald Head Island. It's golf carts and bicycles only, right? No cars or anything. The girls love it. It's just such a calm and, and quiet place. So we love going to the beach. We love going hiking. We love going kayaking. We love just being outdoors and being together and, and just having fun and being present with one another. So, you know, that's one of the big greatest things about this transition now is now that my time is my own, I can choose when to close off my schedule to spend time with family and the girls, pick them up early, take them out to lunches, take my wife out to lunch, you know, do things we want during the day. And so, yeah, just spending time with my family and, and obviously outdoors is, is really important to us. Man, the time is really zipped by. But, you know, what you just pointed out is the opportunity to control your calendar versus somebody saying, hey, you got a meeting at this or going to ask for permission to go on vacation. Like all of that is out the window now and you, you can actually live the life you want to live. So the final question in a three pack, John, what offers you the most fulfillment in life? Yeah, we touched on it briefly just before, but I mean, it's impact, right? Impact on my family, impact on my friends, impact on those around me. And that's really what I'm striving for now is, you know, how can I help others get to where I am and not only where I am, but past where I am, right? I don't think there's anything more fulfilling than watching somebody on their journey, watching them succeed and watching them aspire to and push themselves further than they ever realized. And so, you know, I just hope I can do that similar to folks that have impacted me in my life. And I'm just so excited of, of where this is going to take me and, you know, the countless lives that I can, I can impact moving forward. Wow. All right. So if people want to get the cash flow stack, learn more about you. I mean, they're already listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I mean, where, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. We'll make it easy on them. You just go to contrariancashflow.com right at the top of the page there, begin your journey. You can click the button and you can download the stack straight from there. If you have any questions or ideas of wanting to work with me, there's an application at the bottom of the page to work directly with me as well. You can obviously find me on LinkedIn, Joe Blanto, and just launched recently Instagram. So Contrarian Cashflow on Instagram. My man, Maurice Philogene had just uh, tagged me yesterday. So, you know, check him out. He's a good follow as well. So no, nah, man, I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And I appreciate you taking the time to, to host this for me. And this was a lot of fun. Man, this is outstanding. You've made a tremendous amount of progress in a really short period of time. And I'm just excited to see how you're going to go out and impact the world and live in that significant space, because I think living fulfilled is the only true success. John, how do you end this thing? All right. Until next time, live fulfilled. 
Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.